Welcome to the Behind the Bra podcast brought to you by Barbells for Boobs, where we are redefining the standard of care and breast health and improving the quality of life post-diagnosis. I'm your host, Diana Hansen, and the founder of this incredible organization. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have Nick Shaw, the founder of RP Strength, and his beautiful wife, Lori, breast cancer survivor, joining us today. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Hey, Nick, don't talk too much, okay? I know you're a talker. Uh, <laughs> I just totally miss it. <laughs> I'm just along for the ride today. <laughs> no, this is a really special. This is a really special special show. We don't normally have husbands on, um, and I think it's a really critical. Uh, side of the story. Uh, now that you all have gone through this together, uh, I think it's uh, something that we all need to talk about more. Uh, when a woman does get diagnosed with breast cancer, it doesn't just impact her life, but definitely her partner and her family. And so thank you, Nick, for coming on and sharing your side of the story as well. Um, it's very informative for, for men out there. So thank you. Totally. Yeah. Happy to help. All right. So give us a little history of Lori and Nick. Like, how'd you guys meet? Just give us a little, you know, what do you guys do? Do you like, where do you live? All that good stuff. Okay. Um, Nick is pointing at me. So I'm up on this. Um, (laughs) um, So we met in New York City. Um, A really good friend of mine that I worked with told me about a personal training gym. She knew I was really into Uh, working out and all that kind of stuff. And she said, oh, there's this great personal training gym that's really close to our office. I started going there. You would love it. You have to go. So I went and my first um, personal train. So you go and you're assigned to a personal trainer and I get assigned to Dr. Mike Isertel. Um, And so he was my first trainer and I worked with him for a while. Then he moved on to pursue more academics. And um, he and Nick, of course, uh, were best friends and so uh, I inherited or Nick inherited me when uh, Dr. Mike moved on. So I married my trainer, basically, cut to the chase. <laughs> so, How yeah, long so ago we, was this? This was, we are, we just celebrated our nine year wedding anniversary. Um, wow. So yeah, yeah. A, a lifetime ago, right? A long time ago, Nick. It, it seems like quite a while ago, <laughs> probably a good, good decade ago, something like that. Um, yeah, so we, um, so we got married, uh, in New York city. We had both of our kids in New York city. They were both born in Manhattan. And, um, after the second child, we were living in, you know, like everybody in New York city, a shoebox apartment. And we were like, oh my God, this isn't sustainable. Um, we need to get out of the city. So, uh, Nick is from Michigan. I'm from Ohio. And we were like, okay, neither one of us want to go back to where we're from. And Nick's sister lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we we're like, all right, weather-wise, that is a much better option. So I was lucky enough to find a job um, in Charlotte that paid for our move, that moved us from New York City to Charlotte. And uh, we, we live out just outside of Charlotte now. So we've been here now five and a half years. And uh, we love it. So that's kind of how we got together and where we are now. It's definitely a different pace than New York City. <laughs> like it's like the exact opposite of New York City. Yeah, pretty much polar you- opposite. And ironically, you know, we both work from home now. And so like the coronavirus, people are like, oh, like, what do you think about working from home? And we're just like, 
uh, we've kind of been doing this for like <laughs> four or five years. So not too much has changed on the work front, just more so the uh, homeschool front. Yes. I think that, you know, I, I can agree. My son's in my office right now <laughs> doing math. <laughs> yeah. um, but so, I, I think about what life would have been like if we were still in the city with two kids, the coronavirus and me mm-hmm. being in treatment. Oh, my gosh. Chaos. Complete yes. chaos. That's what it would be. Yes. So you got met in New York. How long were you guys date? Did you date long? Just Nick, you just knew right away this is the one. <laughs> uh, yeah, didn't actually date that long, I don't believe. And we got married in uh, in in the city, and I think we moved what, four or five times four in like the four times. or five years before we finally left New York City. So we kind of jokingly said usually we would have like one big major activity each year. <laughs> that pretty much ever since we met, so we've we've been pretty good with keeping on track with that. <laughs> Some <laughs> crazy thing in our lives, some huge, crazy thing happens almost every single year since we've been together. But yeah, um, we, we didn't date very long. Um, I remember we started dating, I think, in like November and then the holidays hit. And um, Nick was like, well, I really want you to come to Michigan, meet my family. So in December, I was in Michigan, met his whole family. And um, yeah, so I mean, things moved really, really Pretty quickly. That's kind of how our whole life has gone. Things have gone very fast. <laughs> well, I guess when you know, you know, right, Nick? <laughs> yeah, it was, boy. So that was what, December of uh, 2010? Something like that? Something like that. Almost, almost a decade ago. Yeah. 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 That's when my husband and I met. So we're right on the same timeline. Crazy. Yeah. So you're, it, so you've moved down to Charlotte, have two kids. What did your guys' life look like in Charlotte the day before you got your breast cancer diagnosis? Oh, man. Um, A lot different than it is now. (laughs) Pre-COVID, kids were in school. Life was, you know, kind of normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just kind of just 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 doing the life. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like it's it's like the rat race that we're all in, right? We're just kind of going after, you know, every day, this daily grind, and then something just kind of slaps you and wakes you up a little, changes perspective. Um, So I would say you guys have had a few crazy things happen this year. (laughs) You guys like multiplied it. (laughs) Yes, it has been a year. Yeah. Two or three for one. Yeah, for sure. Lori, I know you've shared a lot about, you know, your your treatments and your diagnosis phases. And the thing that I'm the most interested to really talk about are, are really the facts of your your treatment and and really the screening part, because it infuriates me hearing that yeah. you had to wait so long for an ultrasound and kind of the yes. the myth of, oh, it's painful. It's not breast cancer. Um, yeah. And Nick, I know even just you talking about the the stat in itself of one in eight women is just alarming. And it's, to me, it's a, we're in the state of an emergency when it comes to women's health and breast cancer, because we can all kind of think about the closest eight women in our lives. And it's a pretty startling, you know, thought to think that one of those eight women will be diagnosed. And then you get it at your front door and it changes your thought of that, that color pink. Um, So I would, I'd love to dig into, kind of the, the, the screening part of your story, Lori. 
Yeah, I, I really like talking about it because I feel like it's so eye-opening. Um, there are just several points of the process that I think um, can really help some other women out there. Um, first of all, you know, I, I had regular mammograms. I um, have really fibrous, I had really fibrous breast tissue uh, my whole life. So I was told pretty early on by a doctor, you know, you're going to have a hard time with self-exam. So I want you to start getting mammograms um, earlier than the recommended age. So I had been getting annual mammograms for a number of years and had just had a completely clear uh, mammogram five months prior to finding something. So I remember it very well. It was on a weekend and I just had pain in my armpit. And again, it's your armpit. So I don't even think about, I didn't even think about breast cancer. Of course, I had this pain in my armpit. And of course, my first thought is like, oh, I tweaked my arm in the gym, right? Like I just did something in the gym. And it just was this nagging pain that never ended that whole weekend. And I remember, you know, uncharacteristically uh, crying in the shower because I was like, man, what the heck is this? What did I do? Why is this still hurting? It's been bugging me all week. I'm trying to play with my kids and like this thing just won't stop. And I remember like feeling around in the shower. I'm like, oh, okay, I feel something there. And it felt like a BB, you know, it was like this tiny thing. And I still, you know, really thought, oh, it's like an infected hair follicle or like, you know, just something benign. And I happened to have a doctor's appointment set up for two or three days later, unrelated. So I went to that appointment and I said, hey, listen, I know this isn't what I'm here for, but I've got this pain. I feel something there. You know, and she's like, oh, do you want me to do an exam? And I said, yeah. So she did an exam and she said, um, well, you know, I don't think that this is going to be I think you should definitely get an ultrasound. So I'm going to order the ultrasound. But I don't think, you know. Obviously, you know, you don't think you need to repeat a mammogram. One, I don't think the mammogram is going to pick it up where it is. And two, you just had one. I don't want to put you through another one. So I'm just going to go straight to the ultrasound. So she ordered an ultrasound and our healthcare system that we have here in Charlotte, um, the one that, that Nick and I use, and I won't say the name, doesn't matter. But anyway, they pushed back and said, no, she has to repeat a mammogram. That's our policy um, she has to repeat a mammogram. So my doctor's office pushes back and says, no, you know, the doctor says a mammogram isn't going to pick it up. She already had a clear mammogram five months prior. She wants an ultrasound. That's what the doctor ordered. And so the healthcare system, so, you know, and again, while all this is going on, I'm living my life, right? I'm insanely busy doing stuff with the kids, mm -hmm. doing stuff with work. Um, you know, and so it wasn't at the top of my list. I wasn't calling these places every day and hounding them. You know, it would be like a week or 10 days would go by and I'd be like, man, where is it? I thought I was supposed to have that ultrasound. I should call and find out, you know, and then you call and then you leave a message and like, you know, so things just happened. And so I had found it in September, reported it just a few days later. And now here it is December and I finally, you know, and I think I was on TV doing cooking segments. I think I had like five or seven cooking segments between November and December. So I'm like insanely busy doing all this stuff. Finally, in December, I called one of the offices and was just like, what is the deal? Like, I will repeat the mammogram. I don't care if it's a hospital rule that I have to repeat a mammogram because I haven't had one in three months, which is their rule. I'll do it. I have no problem with that. They assured me that they'll do the mammogram and then they'll do the ultrasound right after. So just do it. You know, let's just do it. So then they call and they're like, oh man, we're completely booked, you know, for December. So it's going to have to be January. So anyway, I finally get in in January, have the mammogram, immediately have the ultrasound. They're like, yeah, you know, you know, we don't think it's anything, but 
let's schedule you for a biopsy. So I go back a few days later, even during the biopsy, the doctor's like, nah, this doesn't feel like anything to me. It doesn't feel like cancer or anything like that. But, you know, if it comes back as cancer, don't worry because, you know, we know everything there is to know about cancer now. We'll send off, you know, a sample of this. We'll figure out what it is. They'll be able to, to know exactly what to do. You know, the the survival rate is like high 90%. You know, you don't worry about anything. You're going to be totally fine. But I don't think it's anything. And so the next thing that happens is I get a call to schedule um, the results meeting. And I probably should have known at that point that to have me come in for a meeting, I probably should have realized that was a sign that it was something serious. But again, totally didn't hit me. So I didn't ask Nick to go with me or anything. He was busy. He was picking up the kids that day from school. Um, so I went to the meeting and I go in and she said, oh, how are you healing from the uh, biopsy? And I said, oh, I'm a little bit sore, totally fine, whatever. And then she you know, looks at me and says, well, I'm really sorry. And she looked white as a ghost. So again, I should have known. And she said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we found cancer cells in your biopsy. And I mean, I just, you know, everything stopped at that point. Mm -hmm. So from the time in September, was there any thought for you, Lori, that you had cancer at all? Was there any, never. were you just kind of like, never, you never, it never came across your mind that this could be cancer. We need to probably have a serious conversation about this. No, it really didn't. I mean, I know it should have in hindsight, but I mean, you know, I'm such a healthy person. I'm mm -hmm. young for this type of cancer. I don't have any family history. Um, I've had the genetic testing done. I don't have any genetic markers for this. I mean, it just never crossed my mind. And I've heard so many stories from friends, honestly, not necessarily in the breast area, but just like, oh, I had this thing and it turns out it was a benign cyst. So like mm -hmm. that was what was in my head was it's an infected hair follicle or a benign cyst. Like that's all I ever really thought. I mean, if I had ever thought of the possibility, it honestly just like, I mean, before this, Nick and I just were not really touched by cancer. I mean, we, we, neither mm -hmm. one of us have really had close family members or anything. It just wasn't on my radar at all. And so, yeah, I, I just, I was busy and I just didn't push as hard as I should have, obviously in hindsight, um, to, to get in and to get this scene looked at much sooner. Nick, did you feel when, you know, I knew you probably knew about all these screenings that she was going through. Was there anything in the back of your mind that, Hey, alert, this might be something or what, what was going on in your mind? No, not really. I mean, hindsight's of course, 2020 and, you know, looking back, it's like, yeah, well, okay. Should have probably pressed harder. But again, I think we, we had a, a big summit that we did for RP in November. Again, she was, you know, doing a bunch of stuff on TV. So, I mean, you know how easy it is that something like this, and again, you never have a thought in your mind literally until the day that you're told it, mm -hmm. that, it could be cancer. So it never crosses your mind. So it never really becomes that high of a priority. Again, hindsight, of course, is 2020. But yeah, it just honestly, it never was even, I don't think it ever crossed either of our, either of our minds. Because even, you know, I know I have, you know, a couple doctor friends, you know, Dr. Spencer, you know, kind of the, the funny memeologist on Instagram, whatever, but really smart guy. And so, you know, we kind of asked him, we're like, hey, you know, what do you think? And, you know, I trust him a lot. And, you know, all the doctors sort of said the same thing. Well, like, you know, if it hurts a little bit, that's actually a really good sign. And so you hear <laughs> something like that and you just go, oh, okay, like, yeah, all right. And then it just kind of goes down the priority list a little bit more. So yeah, it was never really a thought until, you know, January. 
Yeah, because I remember I did reach out to Dr. Spencer and said, hey, I'm having a hard time getting this in. Can you like bypass this, you know, at, at all? Can you like put in um, a request for me to get a mammogram like sort of outside of the system so I can get this done sooner? And I mean, even he was roadblocked at some point and he was kind of asking me a little bit about it. And I said, well, it hurts, you know, it hurts all the time. And he's that, and yeah, he said, oh, that's a great sign. Like usually there isn't any pain with cancer. And that turns out obviously to be false. I mean, my oncologist, I told my oncologist that later and she was like, absolutely not. It depends on where the tumor is. And when the tumor gets to a certain size and presses on a nerve, of course, you're going to have pain. She said, most of my patients have pain from the tumor. Yeah, I, th- I think that it's so important for us to talk about these things because I've I've definitely heard that in the past, and you know, it's <laughs> my my operations manager's rolling her eyes because you know she's experienced this, and it's uh, you know it's something we we don't know until we we get a test. You know? yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, are you diabetic? I don't know. You need a test, <laughs> yeah. right? So so you get the news. You hear you hear that you have cancer, and yeah. it. I'm assuming it's slow motion. You're frozen. What was yeah. the first thing you did? Like, did you call Nick or what was your yep. first? Yes. First thing I did, um, you know, of course I, I got a lot of information there. I mean, I actually scheduled uh, a consult with a surgeon, like from her office, like when she gave me the news, um, this was like a, it's called a nurse navigator. It's actually the most wonderful thing in the world. Um, she is lovely. I think she's amazing. And she just happened to be my nurse navigator. And she said, okay, you're going to have a surgeon, a, you know, maybe a plastic surgeon, um, an oncologist, a radiologist. You don't have to think about all those things. You just have to know me and I will, you come to me when you have questions and I will go mm-hmm. and get the answers and bring them back to you. So she was amazing. Um, but she gave me my news. She gave me like a packet full of information about breast cancer. Um, of course we didn't know what type I had then. So, um, she said, you know, we, you'll, uh, meet with a surgeon. He's going to give you, you know, his view. Don't be surprised if they talk about mastectomy, but it could be a lumpectomy. We don't know yet. Then they'll find out what type it is. But if it's, you know, one of the hormonal types, then you might be able to take medication. We don't know if you'll have to do chemo, radiation, like all of that some stuff comes later. So she gives me all this information. She gives me this packet. We call, she's like, you got to pick a surgeon from these three names. I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know. I'm not well-versed in uh, breast cancer surgeons in Charlotte. I have no idea. So she gave me her recommendation. We called and got a consult scheduled. So there's all this stuff happening. Um, Of course, I cried at one point and she was like, is there somebody I can call? And I was like, no. Um, And so then I left and I got in my car and I from the parking lot, obviously immediately called Nick and he was, well, I'll let him tell you uh, about that. Yes. Let's hear it from the man. (laughs) You know, it's like a punch to the gut and um, I was trying to go pick up our kids. So, Hmm. you know, that was really interesting because I had to basically be like, okay, you know, I I can't really talk all that long because like I'm going to be in a carpool line and like our kids are going to be getting in the car. So you got to kind of like, I don't know, sort of think like, okay, you know, what am I going to do? So I was just like, well, just come home. And, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Sorry. No, this is, take your time. This is a, this is a moment in somebody's life that, you know, changes, it changes everything. I mean, again, when we talk about what was happening before this day, you know, just we're busy. We've got a lot going on. And then something like this kind of, 
it is. It's a it's a punch to the gut, and it's it's real. You know, this, this is really this is really life life stuff. You know, we think that so much in this world is so important, and then it's it's things like this that make you really realize what's important. So take all the time you need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that day was really just a blur. I mean, I just, um, got home and, um, and then Nick had brought the kids home and I was supposed to do some stuff with them that afternoon that we just canceled. And I think he probably got them entertained with something turned on the TV or something. And I was just kind of in our bedroom and then he came in and, um, you know, I just told him what I knew. And then I spent the rest of the afternoon basically, um, just gathering information. I mean, just, you know, I wanted, I reached out to somebody locally that I knew that had been through it. I had actually the really good friend that I had mentioned earlier that told me I needed to go to check out this personal training gym. So if it wasn't for her, um, I would never have even met Nick. Um, her name is Mm -hmm. Ann Vermesh. She's still, uh, obviously a super personal close friend of mine. And she is a breast cancer survivor, many, many years survivor. So I texted her immediately and said, Hey, I just got this news. And so I was basically the rest of the afternoon, like gathering information, talking to people on the phone, starting to learn all the lingo, hearing terms I'd never heard before, um, you know, starting to become an unwilling expert on breast cancer, basically the rest of that afternoon. Um, And, you know, it was just a whirlwind of, of information and telling people and all that. I mean, it was just, yeah, it's all a bit of a blur, but, um, an insane. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of information at once and you have to make a lot of decisions pretty quickly. Yes. Um, And so what does that next few weeks look like for you guys? Uh, what point did you have to kind of, once you figure out your stage, you know, and, and what treatment options you had and then telling the family those next few weeks are just, again, another just slow motion, frozen life kind of stops because you have to make some really critical life decisions pretty quickly on a lot of things that you just don't know about. (laughs) And you become a student really learning about breast cancer. So um, share just kind of how you guys made those decisions, how you had those tough conversations uh, with your family and your children. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was a lot of information. Um, I actually, you know, very analytical. So I like getting information and I like things moving really fast. I'm pretty impatient. So I was actually pretty happy with how quickly, um, I, again, kind of figured out one of the top, uh, breast cancer surgeons, um, in Charlotte and got in for a consult with him. And then from that, you know, I I just got a lot of, I was just, there's one person here locally who was a friend of one of my son's, um, friends, uh, one of my son's friends, moms, and I barely knew her before this. And I knew that she had been through breast cancer because she, she mentioned it. And she also happens to work in the medical field here in Charlotte. So I reached out to her and I'm telling you, like, I mean, she's become one of my closest friends through this process. There wasn't a day that went by that she wasn't answering questions. She met me, um, one day at the gym, ironically, like in the cafe part of the gym and sat there, I sat there with her for an hour and a half and she told, answered all my questions. We cried numerous times sitting there at the gym while we went through everything. Um, but she gave me so much information and, um, really helped me kind of, um, every time I would get more information, I would run it past her and she would give me her view and then I'd run it past my friend, Anne, and she'd give me her view. And so, I mean, it was really just sort of like a, 
I built a little team, I think, mm-hmm. um, here that I really trusted, a small enough team that I could make decisions quickly, but that I felt good about making those decisions. Um, you know, sadly, all of this happened in January, a few days before my son's eighth birthday. So I think my mother-in-law was coming into town for his birthday anyway. So we told her, um, so she, we told her before she got here, but so she was here um, while I was doing all those phone calls and setting up all those appointments, which really helped because she was able to kind of fill in gaps with picking up the kids and entertaining the kids while I took difficult phone calls and all of that. Um, so she, as she has been throughout our lives, like super key person to everything. I mean, she always helps us in, in a billion ways. And so she was, she came at just right, the right time. And she actually, once I had figured out I was having surgery, um, and when, and everything, she actually bought a one-way ticket out, um, after my surgery and just said, I'm just going to stay as long as you need me. And I'll figure out, I'll figure that out later, but all I know is I'm going to be there. Um, so she is amazing and we are unbelievably lucky, uh, to have her in our lives. But, um, yeah, my surgeon recommended a lumpectomy, um, given that it was under my arm. And, um, he said, yeah, you know, it's pretty early on. I think it's stage one, you know, again, I really wish people would, would not guess. (laughs) Um, you know, I really wish people wouldn't guess because they were like, we think it's stage one. I don't think it's reached the lymph nodes. You know, I don't think this, I think it's going to be, you know, really easy. We'll just do a lumpectomy. And I was like, well, I looked at him and said, well, um, can I talk about a double mastectomy? Um, and he was like, mm-hmm. what? Uh, and I said, I don't, I have little kids. I'm not messing around here. You know, I don't want to leave the door open. Um, and, you know, I really, that's what I want. And so he was actually, some people asked me, you know, did he fight you on that decision? No, he actually loved the idea. I mean, I think he wishes more people, I guess, would go conservative like that. So he was thrilled that I, um, was going to go super conservative. Um, because I think by then we knew it was triple negative, um, which of course is the fastest growing and the type of breast cancer they know the least about. So, um, he, you know, jokingly, which is a weird thing to joke about, but I, I didn't take offense, but he said, you know, you definitely didn't choose wisely on this, <laughs> on the type of cancer that you have. You didn't do wisely. Um, so I kind of appreciated a little bit of humor in the situation, but, um, anyway, yeah, by then we knew it was triple negative and I'm like, I'm not messing around with this, you know? So I chose the double mastectomy. Um, and so we, we definitely waited a few days and we, sought some expert opinions, I guess, on when to tell the family. And it's interesting because my gut reaction was, I was like, well, I'm not telling my parents because they're much older. They're in their eighties. They live in Ohio. I was like, I'm not, they'll worry themselves to death. So I'm not telling my parents and I'm not telling our kids. And, you know, looking back, like that is so far from even possible. It's laughable, you know, that I wouldn't, but that was my first reaction. I was like, I'm not telling the kids. I'm going to go through this and they're, and they just won't know. And, you know, again, so we think, so we think. Yeah. yeah. And then at the time I was thinking, oh, I'll have that type where I don't have to do this or I don't have to do that. Well, it turns out I'm triple negative. I have the surgery. It had reached the lymph nodes. So, you know, all of that stuff triggered, you know, full uh, 16 weeks of chemo. 25 rounds of radiation. I mean, I was going to lose my hair. I mean, I remember the day I got the call of, Hey, you know, you're going to lose your hair at that point, you know, cause that's a question mark. Some people, you know, don't need the type of, of treatment where you do. 
So mm-hmm. I think I, for a while I thought, oh, well, maybe I won't even lose my hair. Well, then and when I found that, I'm like, okay, this is becoming pretty clear that we're going to have to tell the kids. Um, so we talked about it. You know, we tried to figure out the right time. We sat them down um, after lunch. We said, hey, guys, I want to talk to you. Went to the living room. And um, again, eight-year-old boy, six-year-old daughter. And as soon as I said, well, mommy's sick, my eight-year-old son starts bawling. Um, so I start to cry. Nick's trying not to cry. I'm like, well, this isn't going well. <laughs> um, this is going to be a train wreck. And my six-year-old daughter, who both of my kids, of course, I think are amazing. Um, but my six-year-old daughter has some, um, some, I don't know, has a personality that is just amazing to me. And she, at six, starts comforting my eight-year-old. She starts saying, Zach, oh my goodness. it's okay. Zach, it's not forever. It's just, mom's going to be fine. You know, mom's going to. And, and so she like pulled the whole family together. Like our little six-year-old, I swear, saved that whole process. And then we were able to continue and say, okay, mom's going to have surgery. And then we're going to, she's going to have to take this medicine. It's going to make her sick. She's going to lose her hair. Like we were able to go through it then. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the toughest things I've ever had to do in my life was to sit down and have that conversation. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got through it and, you know, it's one of those things you cannot hide. You, you don't want to hide that from your family. You don't want to hide it from kids. The best thing you can do is be open and honest and upfront. And of course I ended up telling my parents too, but, um, it's just funny that my gut reaction was like, no, I'm going to do this all by myself and not tell anyone. Well, it's such a, it's such a private thing. And oh my gosh, the perspective of a six-year-old, can we just all have that? (laughs) Um, What a sweetheart. Um, But I feel like for women, it's such a private matter. And I, and if we look in the, the history of breast cancer, you know, women would not even tell their husbands. You look 30 years and this was something that women really held in and didn't talk about. And, you know, I'm, I feel very privileged that today I can uh, run an organization with the word boobs in it. Um, and we're that uh, loud at talking about breast cancer now, which is, which is great. But I think that it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a part of a woman's story and, and how women share this story. And I always try to tell people that it's honestly not your business. I, when my best friend was diagnosed, you know, the inspiration of Barbells for Boobs, she told me over email 10 days after she was diagnosed and I called her up and I was yelling at her and I was like, how dare you send me this on an email? And I'm like losing my mind. And she quietly reminded me that this was not about, she said, Z, this is not about you. I was like, okay. (laughs) And, and everyone has their way of sharing it and telling it and and, and so if you are somebody supporting somebody through cancer, uh, just be mindful of that, you know, and mindful of what you ask, how you ask it, what information they give you. Um, and I, I, unless you've been through it and you've supported somebody through it, there, there could be some naiveness to it. Right. And, and yes. I think that telling your family is, is such a hard process, but it's such, it's so necessary because you do need a team. Uh, cancer is not an easy thing. And I hear it a lot that, oh, you got the easy cancer. It's not easy. It's continuous. It impacts your hormones. You know, the side effects last forever. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a private matter for women, but you definitely need your six-year-old daughter on your team, Lori. Yes, exactly. 
And you underestimate people too. I mean, I underestimated my parents. I thought they couldn't handle it. They're too, you know, fragile. Like, and and I mean, I was, there were, it was amazing. I called my mom, um, at, from like the grocery store parking lot, um, so that I could get out of the house. And I called her and told her like over speakerphone, you know, in my car and I was bawling trying to get it out. And she never once, you know, cried. She just said, okay, okay. You know, she was just listening. She did. Cause if she would have fallen apart, I would have felt, I felt, I would have felt like I made the wrong choice telling her. And she was so mm-hmm. strong and she was so supportive and everything like that. And even after, you know, I finished treatment and stuff, she said, you know, if anybody could get through this as well as you have, it's you. Like we always knew, you know, that you were going to get through this well and stuff. Like, I mean, she's just been, they've been like rocks and I totally underestimated that. Yeah. It's, uh, you don't know until the test is put on you, right? You don't know how well you're going to perform. You don't know how well your parents are going to perform or your husband or your kids. Um, and that's, that's, that's life. We're tested. Right. And how was this going? Like how far, how far into your treatment was it before COVID? (laughs) Like, it seems like, yeah. like almost yeah, I mean, have an entire show on cancer during COVID, you know, like, yes. let's, yeah, let's kind of talk through that. What did that look like yeah, for you all? Yeah, I was diagnosed in January, surgery in February, started chemo in March. So like the first week of March was my first chemo treatment. So I was able to have Nick with me for the very first treatment. And then, I mean, March 12th was when we started quarantine. So everything hit the fan for our family, like March 12th. So it was right around mid-March. So I was never allowed to take him, to take anybody with me again to chemo. So the other, um, I did eight rounds over 16 weeks. So the other seven rounds, I drove myself, sat there by myself, drove myself home, you know, and same for radiation, which is, you know, much quicker and everything, but you still, you know, couldn't take anybody with you or anything and I mean, when I say lockdown, I mean, we were on complete and total lockdown in March. I mean, my kids have not gone back to school. They've not had a play date with anybody. Um, in the beginning, we were getting groceries delivered. Nick was going outside with Lysol, spraying everything down, leaving mm-hmm. it out there for a couple of hours, bringing it in. I mean, we were doing, going through, you know, that type of stuff. Nobody left the house except for me to go to treatment and back. And that was it. Nick, how did that feel for you not to be able to support her through those hard days? I mean, in the, it, I, I know you were supporting her probably in other ways, but not being able to be there physically. Yeah, it's just really tough. And it's just, it's like an avalanche of everything that happened this year, basically. Mm-hmm. So that was it was just really tough because you just kind of feel helpless. Like you can't really do anything. And that's just not really a good feeling to have. So then you kind of just got to flip to like, well, what can I actually do? What can I control? And then you just got to go from there. <laughs> Those key words that I told you when, when you sent me a message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, when you, when I, when I received the news, I was actually sitting uh, one of our, one of my, one of my friends, uh, she this is her third diagnosis and it, she's stage four now. And I was sitting in her chemo with her when I received your news and I was texting you, Nick. And, you know, it's just that moment that I got your message, you know, Nick and I met a few years back at Wadapalooza and we sat on a, a panel together and it was, you know, lightly having conversations about breast cancer. Cause that's just, I'm known as the breast cancer woman. So that's what I talk about with people. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, um, 
And to see that come, you know, back and, and Nick, it, you all have been so supportive of Barbell Shabibs every single year. And to see it actually hit your family, you know, just it broke my heart, but it was also inspiring to know that we're here, you know, as we're here for our community, we were here, I was able to kind of, um, listen to Nick and, you know, the fact that this organization exists is the thing that keeps me going is, you know, I've lost my sister. My best friend has been diagnosed and I've had many, many women in my very close to me get diagnosed. And it's that like, we're here for a reason and, and hearing, people that I know that I've met throughout. And this, Nick, you're not the first person that I've met in the community. And then, you know, it's like, oh, well, my wife is diagnosed or my friend was diagnosed. And just knowing that we can, that we exist is pretty powerful for me. Yes. So thank goodness for you guys. So what has been the biggest good? Let's talk about the good of breast cancer. I know it's been a rough year with COVID and homeschooling and and treatments and the unknown of of all the things that breast cancer brings. What do you feel like now you're coming out of the other side, you're done with treatment? What's what's good now that maybe wasn't good before? Yeah, I mean, it it's changed me on every level. Um, it's just changed the way that I view my day, the way I view my kids, um, the way I want to spend my time, my spare time. Um, you know, it just makes me just, I know this sounds like the same thing everybody says, but it does. It just makes you look at everything different. I mean, I you know, I used to always, I lived in New York city for 13 years. I used to define myself as like a highly functioning stress ball. Like that's what I called myself, you know? Um, and I loved the insane pace and just, I was always stressed out and like, Oh my gosh, I have this to do and that to do and this to do. And like, Oh, it's just a part of being like a full-time career working mom of two little kids and da, 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 da. And I just like, you know, that was me. And, um, I don't ever want to be that person again. Um, I want to be the exact opposite of New York City Lori. Um, mm. Now I want to, you know, take better care of myself. Just, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about the gym. I mean, the gym's always been a part of my life, but I'm talking about taking time for meditation, which has become something that's very important to me. Um, taking time to look my kids in the eye and talk to them and play with them and spend time with them. And, you know, Nick and I just, we, we just have a very positive outlook on everything. I mean, through COVID and everything, I see so much complaining, um, mm. so much woe is me and all that. And yeah, I mean, it sucks. This is a difficult time, but you know, there are positive things. Our kids are flourishing, um, in this time. I mean, they both have learned to ride their bike. They both, they're doing great at homeschool. They are best friends. They were always close, but now they're best friends. They, you know, spend almost no time on screens other than school. They're outside playing, they're riding their bikes, they're using their creativity. They're doing all these things. Like we look at our family and, you know, it's been like a weird blessing. Um, again, they had a lot of uncertainty when I had to tell them about my diagnosis. And then because of quarantine, they were front and center throughout all of my treatment. And thank goodness I tolerated things well. So I was, you know, up and with them every day. It's not like I was in bed all day or anything, but I mean, that gave them a lot of comfort to see me go through it and just, you know, they, you know, said, Oh, mommy, you know, is really strong. And, you know, mommy's doing, you know, she's working really hard on this and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, 
you know, we, we just have a very positive outlook because what's the alternative? You know, who wants to live in, in negative land? You know, we don't. Um, and so we just have really made it um, a very intentional focus within our family and in our lives to be positive, to look at the good, to, um, you know, really just live our lives like that in a very difficult time. You know what I think is kind of profound here is I feel like, Lori, you being the the stress, the New York City stress ball, Lori, I feel like, what? how do you think that you would have actually been during quarantine had you not been diagnosed with breast cancer? So, you know, like, (laughs) I think that it allowed you to be okay with not being stressed out, right? Like it allowed you to slow down in a way that you probably wouldn't have, because I think that that's the biggest challenge right now for people. Like I'm a very high functioning stress ball as well as you. (laughs) And, um, like my team's all like laughing at me. Um, so I, you know, I, I've been, I lost my mind after two weeks in my house. I was like, what? (laughs) Come on. Um, and so I think that there's, I think that it, there's way more good, you know, that the cancer is yes. doing a lot of good for you all. And, uh, and that's such a great perspective. Nick, do you feel like that's, uh, that's where you're at as well? And, and how, what are you seeing good now in life that maybe has changed a little? Yeah, it just really required like a full, complete mind shift, just in how you approach everything. And that's really been the biggest takeaway, you know, just being more grateful for stuff being more positive. Yeah. Cause again, you basically have a choice, right? You can choose, you can choose to be negative. You can choose to dwell and you can choose to go down this route. That's just not a good route to go down. And if you choose to go down the other route and you start looking at things differently, it really puts a different spin on things. And I think I actually remember at the first chemo, um, that I went to with Lori, we were sitting next to this older couple. And, you know, I kind of went in with this mindset where it's like, you know, I have to be here. I have to do this. You know, I'm going to make some good out of it. Like I have books to read. I have all this stuff. Like I'm just going to, I'm going to learn more than ever. Like that's what I'm going to do. And then I look over and there's like this older couple and, you know, they're like bickering the whole time. And they're like complaining, <laughs> you know, to the nurse and, you know, like I'm, I'm sure that nurse is, you know, doing everything that she possibly can to help. And it's just, it really stood out to me and I'll probably never forget it, but it was just like, wow, that's really, you know, that's an interesting route to take. It just doesn't seem like the right one though. I can't really imagine too many people would be like, Hey, you know what? That's actually a good idea. Like, let's do that. Like, no, (laughs) you, you can choose that route, but it's just, it's not going to be good. You're just, it's going to go nowhere and you're just going to be, you know, just, you're going to struggle way more. Like, why not try to find the good and stuff? Like what's the harm in that? Again, it's not like we're saying, you know, Oh, everything's perfect. Everything's great. It's like, no, that's not the case. But again, you still have the power to choose. And if you choose to go down the right path, it's just going to make it better. You're going to have a better recovery. It's like, you know, again, Mm -hmm. you can't control some of the stuff, but you sure as heck can control a lot of other things. And when you start doing all that, you know, it just, it puts just this whole different spin on things. And, you know, that to me has been the biggest thing that um, I've personally taken away. Yeah. I mean, we can, we all have control over our reactions, right. And our attitude and how we show up. Right. And that's, I mean, you have no control over cancer. It's literally the the one thing that you just, none of us, none of us are immune to to this disease. And so you have to kind of just 
plant yourself and like almost like root yourself deeper into who you are because Mm -hmm. you have nowhere to go, (laughs) but within yourself. (laughs) Yes. Right. Is there anything anything else you guys want to share? Mm -hmm. So just going back in terms of like what's good. And and so this is of course, you know, hindsight's 2020, but uh, we didn't know before the holidays last season, we had an amazing holiday season. We went and visited my parents in Michigan and, you know, if we'd have known what well, it's going to skew everything, like we probably would have actually had a really bad holiday season. And so it's just like, and not that it was good, of course, because it wasn't good to wait longer. Obviously, we want to know sooner. But, you know, just looking back, like it could have totally tainted all of that. Well, that's one thing that, you know, I've, I get to interview so many women that have been impacted by breast cancer and uh, everyone knows that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And Lori, I'm sure you've seen the world turns pink in October. You guys have probably yes. seen it before, but not really uh, looked at it the way you look at it now. It's definitely a different yes. uh, perspective. And what ends up happening in October is that's when, when awareness kicks in is usually when women are getting their mammograms. Right. And so, uh, most women are, that's kind of, they're getting their mammograms they're doing their, their pink duty in October. And a lot of times they're finding out that they have breast cancer during Thanksgiving and during Mm -hmm. the holidays. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of stories that we hear are, that's, you know, it was the day before Thanksgiving and I couldn't get a hold of my doctor because it was the day before Thanksgiving or it was Christmas break. And, um, you know, I think that as we all go and get screened during this time of year in October, just being mindful of when those results come and be, know that you need to be prepared for that. And so, uh, for those of you that might be waiting for the first of the year for your deductible to reset or (laughs) whatever your healthcare needs are, you know, always being mindful of that is we don't know when we go get a screening, you never know what's on the other side of that test and just be mindful of when you're going to be receiving those, those results. And if you're, you and your family will be able to handle it. So that's, that's a a beautiful thing you bring to light, uh, Nick, because it's true. It's a lot of women get diagnosed during the holidays. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so it's October. Um, I heard that while you all have been in this treatment and recovery with breast cancer and quarantined and homeschooling your kids, you both have had some other projects you've been working on. Yes. So, Lori, you have a cookbook. Yes. Yeah. I'm super excited. I was, of course, I was trying to think of something to do for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, something I could contribute to help. Um and of course, I write cookbooks. That's kind of what I do. So I was, I said to Nick, um, but I'm also working on my next cookbook for RP. So I said to Nick, you know, what about doing a cookbook? And he was like, uh, you're already, you already have a lot on your plate. I don't know if that's a good idea to try to squeeze in another one. And I said, yeah, but what if this is just a mini cookbook? So just 10 recipes. <laughs> and what if we try to work with our partner at Trifecta And I, you know, get the food from them and it's already cooked. And so I'm not, you know, then I'm just sort of like jazzing up already cooked food that people are already getting through trifecta. So he was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that sounds doable. So that's what we did. So it's uh, just a mini cookbook of 10 recipes and they use 10 different trifecta already cooked foods 
And it's just ways to jazz them up. And of course, you can, if you don't get trifecta food, um, you can use already, you know, it would be already cooked hamburger or already cooked chicken or whatever. Um, and then, so you're just kind of starting with an already cooked food and then just jazzing it up, turning it into something awesome. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and all the money goes to barbells for boobs. So Aww, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I think that, um, you know, I think things like uh, for me, cookbooks are so overwhelming that this sounds so interesting to me <laughs> uh, because I, I, I feel like, I mean, I do RP. There you go. It's out. Um, and I just get into this, like, Thank I just you. eat the same thing. You're welcome. You're welcome, Nick. Um, I've actually really enjoyed it. Um, at first it used to stress me out because it was like, Oh my God, my phone is telling me I have to eat. Um, <laughs> but, and then I stopped, I got frustrated and I was like, I don't want to, I just need this off my phone. I don't need another reminder. And I went a week and I was like, oh, I'll be able to figure it out. And then I was like, Z, you, you came to kill it. Like you need to go back to your app. Like what are you doing? Um, and, and it, it is nice to have an accountability app for yourself, you know, and it's, um, I've done the, had of, you know, one-on-ones before and done all of that. And the app has been so nice. Cause you kind of, it's just you and your app and, but it is a great reminder to have. Anyways, I'm going on, I'm <laughs> rabbit hole. Whoa. Okay. So, <laughs> but I eat the same thing all the time because I'm lazy and I'm simple and a creature of habit. And so this sounds fantastic for me to like, you know, if I have an extra 10 minutes to spice up something I'm already eating, yeah. then I'll do it. <laughs> like that cookbook doesn't sound intimidating. I might actually get it. <laughs> no, I mean, we, I don't make, I don't make, uh, long drawn out recipes anymore. That was a different part of my life when I had time and like to do that. Yeah. So now I'm all about the simple stuff. So, um, usually all my recipes are really simple and this is no exception. These are really easy ones. Awesome. What is it coming out? When should people expect this cookbook out? Uh, very soon. So it's probably very just going to be on the RP website. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get you guys the links and we'll, people can go right to it. Um, we're just going to put like a $5 cost on it. That way it's, it's essentially just a donation. Right. And then, um, you know, if people want to donate more, they can, you know, click down below and head over to your guys' website to, to help out. But, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a cool way, I think to, you know, instead of just donating, which is obviously great, but, uh, you know, just get a little something back and, uh, you know, Trifecta is going to help promote it a little bit too. So just kind of a win-win-win all around. All around. Well, thank you guys for the support. We really appreciate it. And um, anything else you guys want to share? Uh, yeah, I had uh, – I actually had two other things. So, you know, what's the sure. good in all of this? So what's really interesting is – because it's so common, and this is the thing that stood out to me, one in eight, you know, that's 12 and a half percent, which is a, is a very high number. And we actually have a next door neighbor that went through this, what, a decade ago? Mm-hmm. And here's the funny thing, and funny, obviously not funny, ironic, I guess, is she had the same exact surgeon over a decade As ago. As Lori? We had. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So it's just like. Yeah, you, you, you just, it comes out of the woodwork, basically. Everyone you talk to, like, they know somebody. Yeah. It doesn't matter Everybody. Who. Everybody, yeah. Like, I don't think I've met a single person, you know, when I told, they're like, oh, well, you know, hey, my mom or my grandma. So-and-so. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always somebody. So it's just like, no one, no one avoids this. Yeah. Well, I think that, so for us, when you look at that stat of one in eight, right, And even just like you could talk to anybody. We talk to, I mean, we go everywhere with boobs on our shirt, you know, and, and I've had people say, gosh, you know, 
uh, you know, have contacted me, other people that are starting charities, like, Hey, I really want my charity to get as big as barbells for boobs, you know, aspire to be barbells for boobs. And I'm like, Hey guys, I just picked a cancer. That's one in eight women get <laughs> like, I, I was touched by a cancer that's been touched by so many people that I'm not. And, and, and obviously I think maybe boobs helped out, but, um, I think that every single one of us has been touched by it. And so anytime October happens or pink happens, uh, there's a story behind it. And that's, and, and you're talking about women. And so when we look at what a woman represents in a family, so the people that are impacted by that woman are going to protect her and love on her and support her. And that's why the pink ribbon, I feel like, is so big and so powerful. It's not necessarily the breast cancer survivors themselves or that are pushing this out there. It's their friends, it's their families, it's their husbands, it's their kids. Because those women mean so much to people, their, their tribes. That's who's growing and building this pink movement is the family members and the supporters of the women that are impacted by it. And so when people are like, oh my God, Barbell Tribute is so big, I'm like, no. Breast cancer is big. That's that's yeah. the problem here. This is the biggest, mm-hmm. but this is what we always talk about at Barbell Tribute. Our biggest problem statement is one in eight. One in eight women will get diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. That to me is it's a it's a huge huge problem. So yeah. yes, yeah. Facts. Just and, and one other thing, just kind of goes back to you know what's the good to come out of all this. So you know, basically, we were stuck in quarantine for. I don't know, literally three months really didn't go anywhere for a while. And it's actually ironic because a couple of years ago, after I had a hernia surgery, I basically couldn't train for a couple months and I just, I needed something to kind of fill, fill in my time. So I just started listening to like audio books and, and whatnot. And it kind of like led me down this path of basically reading, I don't know, I probably read a couple hundred books since then. It's kind of, kind of crazy. It's basically become a little hobby in I, you know, I essentially was kind of noticing all these themes of like, hey, what makes people a little bit more successful than, than other times? And, you know, it really wasn't related to overcoming sickness or anything like that or cancer. And then all this hit and I kind of had all these ideas in my head. It's like, well, I, th- I think that these things tend to make people have better outcomes. And then all this hit, I kind of really had to put it into action myself. Like there was no other choice, basically you know, all this happened and then COVID, then quarantine, mm-hmm. then shelter in place, whatever. And so it really kind of, you know, led to that fundamental shift that I was talking about earlier. And so I actually kind of sat down and, and wrote a book and in the large part, you know, so again, you know, bad stuff's going to happen, but do you want to kind of set back and, you know, don't let any good come from it? Like, I don't think that's really the, the best mindset or approach to take. And so I was like, man, I'm going to do this. And the best part was I had three months. I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> like literally people might think that I'm joking, but no, no, I actually literally wouldn't going anywhere. And so, you know, I wrote this book and so it's going to be coming out here hopefully around the holidays. And, um, you know, it's just kind of, it's a story, I guess, of, of overcoming. And it's not only that, but like, you know, how you, how you can maybe overcome being diagnosed or knowing someone that's diagnosed, but really just kind of successful in any endeavor. I think there's some general principles that, that apply to everybody. So that's going to be coming out. And, um, you know, again, let's make some good of it. So we're going to take a portion of that and, and kick it over to you guys too. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, again, should be coming here next month-ish or so. That's amazing. Um, is, is this your first book? You've written before, right, Nick? Or is this a, your first, like... 
Yeah, uh, I'm not smart enough to write all the RP books. That actually goes to everyone else about the all the PhDs. So, so this is my first uh, official book, and yeah, you know, I'm really excited. It's it's become a big hobby of mine, and um, I'm really thankful for it too because it's kind of led me down, I think, to a much better approach with with really everything. So it's. You know, even if I look back a year to where I was, like, I think I have a fundamental, just completely different mindset than I did, you know, compared to 2019. So, you know, again, we can sit here and say we didn't want any of this to happen, of course, but, you know, what what's the good that you can find of things? And I think that's really important to look at. Have you ever, were you always kind of like, I, w- I want to write a book? Has that always been something on your mind? Like in your lifetime, you were like, I, I want to write a book. No. Or did that happen? Right. Did that happen during COVID? Our quarantine. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of hit me in February because we have like the RP nutritional sort of, you know, pyramid sort of, I guess is the best way to put it. Like what makes you more successful when it comes to dieting? And there's like a pyramid of priorities. And just literally one, one morning I was just sitting there while I was reading a book and I was like, huh, I wonder if I just kind of took these ideas and made it into my own little pyramid here. And I, I wrote it down. I drew a little picture and I kind of thought about it for a couple of days and I was like, oh, yeah, I want to kind of make sure I wasn't too crazy. And then I, I you know, I shared it with, uh, with Dr. Mike and I was like, Hey, it's not crazy here. And he's like, he's like, no, I actually think you're onto something. And so I was like, okay. And I kind of got back to work and was thinking about it a little bit more. So I, I honestly never had the intention of doing it, but, um, you know, now this is obviously before it's going to come out. So we'll see how it does, of course, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited for it. I think, uh, I think it's going to be able to help a lot of people. Well, I think that, you know, I think that what you guys have all established with RP and what you, the work you all are doing to improve people's lives every single day to me is, is that's exudes success, right? Everyone can look at what you guys have done and say that's successful. And so now to take that same perspective and say, okay, we've also gotten through breast cancer successfully and we've also gotten through COVID successfully. And is that kind of like the concept you're looking at is how do you build success in anything that you're doing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, because so here's the thing. If you ask 100 different people what success means, you're going to get 100 different answers. You know, for someone, it might be overcoming being diagnosed with cancer. For someone, it might be, you know, winning a sporting title. It might be, you know, making uh, winning a competition or winning the CrossFit Games, you know, anything like that. So it's kind of like these universal principles that if you apply, you're going to have better outcomes. And I think that's probably the best way to approach it. Wow. I'm intrigued now because I geek out on this because when you're, when you work with, when you spend years and you all have spent years working with people in succeeding in some capacity in their health. Right. And so having, how do you teach people that? Right. And, and, and we work really closely with our community of women impacted by breast cancer, our rad community. And, uh, and it's interesting to see what success looks like for each woman. Yeah. And, and what that, what even a successful day looks like for them, because it could be as simple as I got out of bed today, like mm-hmm. that to them is success, you know, and, and it, it's really humbled me in the, in my own life being so connected to, to breast cancer and watching women have to overcome uh, some of the most challenging moments of their life going through cancer. And uh, I think that's going to be such a fantastic uh, gem for this world. Nick, congrats on that. Thank so, you so much. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, where can everybody find you too? Everybody wants to follow you all now. Tell us where uh, where do you guys uh, do most of your 
information to the world? Are you guys more on Instagram or Facebook or what's your guys' channel? Yeah, Instagram, uh, at RP Strength. If you just want to follow the main RP account. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, it's uh, at uh, nick.shaw.rp. And then and then I'm at LLShaw1, the number one, um, on Instagram. And then we put out a lot of information on YouTube, too, on the RP Strength YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Awesome. yeah. I mean, really, if you just follow RP, you're probably going to come across a lot of it. Uh, RPStrength.com, um, that's going to be where the cookbooks probably here in, in just a few days. Uh, so it should be ready by the time this comes out. So be awesome. People want to help donate with that, get something in return and then, um, you know, have a book coming out here. Uh, there'll be like an ebook version if people want to get it on the RP site, but it's also going to be our first uh, journey into the hard copy book. So we're going to see how that goes. Are you going to do an audible? Will it be available? Uh, yes, uh, eventually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And no, I love, I love audiobooks. Yep. Same. Um, I know that success for my husband would be being, being, uh, posted on the RP strength, uh, you know, grid of his weight loss. Too bad. He doesn't like taking pictures of himself himself. It's well, okay. You know what? You well, thank you both so much for sharing your story and uh, bringing such uh, knowledge, education and a bright, bright light on breast cancer and COVID and all the things that we should be appreciating and uh, accepting the good in life. Yes. Thank you so much for what you guys do. It's amazing. You do amazing work. Thank you. I know our team always, uh, they always let me know. They're like, well, we checked on Lori. She says she's fine. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Yeah. For, for now, for now. I told them my schedule. I told them when I was going to be starting radiation or ending radiation or ending chemo or whatever. And they were like, we, we got all these dates. We're going to be checking on you just so you know. And they sure did. So yeah, it was awesome. It's very appreciated. Thank you so awesome. much. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. Big shout out to our team here at Barbells for Boobs. Uh, we got Carla, Sam, Ryan, Keisha. We probably got the whole team just listening in. So it's really exciting. Um, that is Lights Out for Behind the Brawl podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Bye.